Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib, the podcast of Kickstarter, the crowdfunding website. Each week I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, May 20th, 2013. On this day in history, in 1901, Hideo Shima was born. Mr. Shima was a Japanese engineer who headed the team that built the world's first bullet train connecting Tokyo and Osaka. Happy birthday, dude. I started writing my own epitaphs, notebooks, on homework, on my hand a few times. Yeah, it came off a bit creepy. Not epitaphs for myself, but for other people, imaginary people that lived imaginary lives. Up next, I have a gentleman named Matthew Ritter. He's out of Orange, California. Well, he's the creator of a very unique, I would say, video game. I'm not sure what else to say about it than that, because I'd like for him to say it in his own words. Matthew, welcome to the show. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. Okay, you're on Kickstarter. Welcome to Boone Hill would be a, a game about exploring a graveyard and being able to see the little stories that are left behind. And you'd learn about this fictional town of Boone Hill through the people that have passed. What is it? It's a graveyard simulator. Well, I've always been a little obsessed with epitaphs. I always thought it was interesting, the idea of you're dead and you leave behind a message that people that may not even have anything to do with you might be able to read and somehow get a feeling of who you were in the past. Now, I put it out on Facebook. I said, uh, you know, I'm headed to Boone Hill. I put out your trailer and someone said, no, I leave the dead to itself. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> like, I was like, but I have to look. I have to find out. I agree. I think that's the whole point of epitaphs. They're not for the dead. A grave isn't for a dead person. They're dead. But it's for us. It's for the living. So we should be exploring graveyards. We should be taking lessons from the past and learning from the stories of people that have gone before us, just like the people that are coming after us should be learning from us. See, I never thought about it like that as a history lesson, or I think you said there's poetry in it. Oh, I think there's amazing poetry in it. There was one I read when I was I was very young. It's something like, uh, what I am now, you soon shall be. And I always thought that was sad but poetic and you know beautiful in its own way and a lot of people really like the the funny ones you know the the one of the more famous ones being i, I told you i was sick you have any examples you want to read a few just a moment i believe i i might have a few to read let me find that here i got a one of my favorites this is a series of ones that i found that all seem to be from the same family sorrow cries out much louder than joy Bethany Colton, 1884 to 1885. She was never very heavy. Jesse Colton, 1879 to 1887. Sunlight blessed this grave. Haley Colton, 1878 to 1892. Survived by her loving husband, Heidi Colton, 1860 to 1912. Survived by no one. Hank Colton, 1855 to 1923. You know, it's a row of people that all had the same last name. You know, a lot of the kids looked like they died very young and the husband ended up surviving past the wife. But then I also wondered, like I'm reading all of these epitaphs and I think it's very interesting sounding. And the last guy who I assume was the husband, you know, said survived by no one, which I thought was tragic. But who wrote that? I'm trying to say it's a game, but... Is it a game? I mean, when I think game, I think of fun, but I'm not sure, is this fun? I heard one person use a term, um, I don't know if this is a common term, but I thought it worked well for this kind of game. They described it as a, a walkabout, 
where the game is more about an experience than an end goal, and indeed it may not necessarily be intending to be fun, but is is about emotion. To be entertained is good, but is not always the sole goal of a piece of art. I see that you started on this road of tombstones and epitaphs, graveyards, all of that, when you were in high school. I just thought it was really fascinating. As I said, you know, there's the poetry to it. This is one I always thought was nice. In the darkness, there is not always light, but at least there's something. Tiffany Shrike. I think that sounds beautiful. It is beautiful. It's a beautiful phrase. I just didn't know what to think. I had my nine-year-old daughter with me, and she was like, that's totally cool. That Boone Hill <laughs> is totally cool. I was like, it's creepy. It's creepy. I'm surprised. I would have thought this would appeal more to older people, but a lot of the people who have been... Uh, like I got some emails from someone who was like 13, another person who was like 16, saying it was the, the greatest game idea they'd ever heard of. Oh yeah, you're like, you've reached your minimum funding and everything, man. Congratulations, man. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. I like ran around in a circle for a while. It was good. I just wanted to figure out a way to make fun of you, man. I, for real. I was like, this is the craziest thing. You know, I was like, this is the craziest thing. I was like, a game about tombstones. I gotta figure yeah. this out. I gotta figure this out. And a game about dead people. Yeah, I know. It's. <laughs> I couldn't make fun of you somehow. I just, I just <laughs> had to call and see for myself what it was about. And my daughter was like, "This is. I'm telling you, this is totally cool. This is totally yeah. cool." She sounds like an incredibly intelligent young lady. Well, why don't you tell me about some of the other responses you received on Kickstarter? Because apparently, you you found a niche in the community and oh, they're yeah, supporting I'm... you. I'm really surprised. I, of course, went out and I tried to contact all of the blogs and stuff I could. Right. Not really expecting to get too much of a response. And people started writing articles and they started writing about their own personal experiences with the same sort of thing. You know, people talking about how they were like 12 and they went into a graveyard and they found this one gravestone that was just covered with lichen and moss and they felt like they wanted to clean it, but that somehow might be disrespectful and just the fascination with that and wondering what the story behind that gravestone was and then saying like, look, there's a game where you can try to have this same sort of feeling. I hear there's a way to get your own custom tombstone or epitaph on your game. Now, how would I go about that? All right, all right. You go to uh, the Kickstarter and if you donate $25, you can decide the name on one of the gravestones. Right. If you donate $50, you can decide the name and what the epitaph would be. So all of the text on it is up to you. Gotcha. And if you're willing to give $100, you know, you tell us what you want it to be and, you know, I'd work and the artist would work together to make you the tombstone look however you want. Now, what if you want the house on the hill? You want like a mausoleum or something. How would you do that? I mostly put it up as a joke, but if you're willing to give $10,000, we will pretty much make you a mausoleum, your own mini graveyard, like inside its own little mansion thing with all kinds of paintings and statues and stuff. Yeah, I might leave that out, but don't the rich live? (laughs) Even in death. I would be jazzed if somebody was like, yeah, I need that mausoleum. I want to thank you for coming to the crib and taking nothing that I said, you know, against you or negative or anything like that. Thanks for coming on the crib. You're welcome. Hello, I'm Sarah. And I'm Sarah. And we need your help to find our most ambitious stop motion animation yet. Monstrous Murders is a two minute animation set in Victorian times. A homeless beggar on the streets is aided by a well-to-do young lady. However, not everything is as it seems. Hello. Hello. So how are you ladies doing? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? 
I wanted to congratulate you on your Kickstarter success. And let's make sure I have my uh, facts straight. I'm going to say Sarah and Sarah, so that'll make that part easier. Yeah, it's Sarah. <laughs> Sarah and Sarah. My name's spelt Sarah. <laughs> Bit confusing. You're not playing around, are you? No, no, I'm Sarah. <laughs> I always have this problem. Sarah who? Sarah Duffield Harding. You just messed up my easy part, so. <laughs> She's always difficult like that. <laughs> I would like you guys to tell me what this movie is about. It's very short. So um, it was initially for a monster storyboard, and we kind of wanted to take a, sort of a different take on it, you know, not have big monsters and everything. So it's sort of has quite a few twists and plays on um, someone who's been doing really monstrous murders, sort of t- playing on how she is the actual monster. Kind of like Jack the Ripper? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. kind of like yeah. that. Sounds like you guys are just agreeing with me. Doesn't even sound like I'm anywhere close, but I got you. <laughs> no, no, you are close, definitely. It's sort of like that mixed with an actual monster as well. And which one are you? <laughs> Sarah Bond. You guys got to identify yourselves. Cause... <laughs> are these films that you make, these shorts, are they profitable ventures for you? Or are they more labors of love? At the moment, it's definitely more of a labor of love. In the future, it would be something that we'd want to earn some money from. But yeah, these things are definitely things that we enjoy, and that's why we do them. All right, tell me your dream then. Tell me your dream. <laughs> to make the films that we want to make and, you know, earn a living from it so we don't have to spend time, you know, doing other things. Just spend all our time on it. And so that they're kind of like feature length and not just two minutes or shorts. Yeah, feature lengths yeah. like with stop motion take years to make, but I'd love to do one sometime, yeah, and have a team of people. How long have you ladies been into this medium of stop motion? Since we met at university, probably about uh, six, six or seven, seven years, years ago. Were you both film students? Animation. We were both studying animation and we decided ourselves to try out stop motion and we loved it and we work really well together, so we continued. <laughs> Not knowing anything about animation or stop frame it seems like this must just be the most tedious process or tedious <laughs> and precise process in the world so i mean does it make you want to pull your hair out sometimes what drives a person <laughs> to do this uh, when you're in the middle of a shot sometimes it does feel a lot like that but you get to the end and you watch it back and you actually see that you've made this thing move it's an amazing feeling it's amazing to watch but it seems like you two must have the most <laughs> two patient women in the world or something to be able to do this yeah it takes a lot of patience and like something like a two-minute animation can take you know three or four months to make right especially when it's just the two of us so <laughs> yeah you can get through a day and only have about 10 seconds worth of footage or something but it's all worth it in the end it's all worth it in the end does yeah. anything get to you ladies does any because i mean if you do this i'm saying you're up there i mean you must be like buddhist or take meditation <laughs> or something like that no i'm saying you must be up there you must be like very spiritual beings i mean to the core <laughs> no <laughs> got patience for stop motion i don't know about everything <laughs> Okay. All right. And you two ladies met in college and you just hit it off. And and that began the team of Sarah and Sarah. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Tell me about some of the other projects that you've worked on together. The first one we did was actually a a group project with a couple of other people. But 
we didn't really work so well with them and it ended up just being the two of us pretty much doing the whole thing. Yeah, I hate group projects. <laughs> and then the next one, we decided again, we'd work together on a stop motion and it, it was really successful. We both loved every second of it. And yeah, it got into quite a lot of festivals, I think. What is the film market like where you two ladies live? I don't really know. I mean, we were struggling to sort of get into the industry. Well, has Kickstarter helped in that process at all? I don't really know yet. I mean, we hope that it, it will. Like when the actual film is finished, we're hoping it gets noticed. Right. We've had a lot of people come back to us because of the Kickstarter video, just saying that they like our work, which is really lovely to hear. Is there anything you'd like to say to your backers? It's just massive thank you and you're you're helping us make something that we really want to do and without their help we wouldn't have been able to do it. I want to thank you two ladies for dropping by the crib and I wanted to say that I wish you the best in your career and I really did like your showreel that you had on Kickstarter <laughs> and oh, your trailer. You. Yeah, it's very, very beautiful. And I don't know, is it accurate if I say I like the cinematography of what you did? Because I'm, I'm not yeah. sure the process of stop motion. So That works. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us on the show. Hi, I'm Tom, and this is my brother, Tony. We are writing our first game. It's called Stonehearth, and we want to tell you about it. Let's go. Let's go. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no problem, dude. I know you guys are busy. I know you must have like a million emails or something flying around, comments and all that, because you guys are doing incredibly well on Kickstarter. But could you tell me what Stonehearth, the game, is really about? So it's about making the decisions to go from like nothing all the way up to like a big bustling trade city. And to do that, you're going to have to do things like figure out how you're going to get food, if you want to hunt for it, if you want to fawn for it. You're going to have to design shelter for all your little guys. Right. And you're going to have to defend your town from invaders. I checked out your video several times on Kickstarter. It looks way cool, the way everything's designed. It kind of reminds me of Super Mario Brothers. Sometimes some of it looks kind of like Legos, but how did you come up with that type of aesthetic? You nailed it pretty much. I mean, we want to make a game that's like fun and that you can just zen out with, and we want the graphics to kind of reflect that. So it goes back to the games that we loved when we were kids, like right. Mario a little bit, and some of the early Zelda games, and like the Super Nintendo RPGs like Chrono Trigger. And then, yeah, it's blocky like Lego or Minecraft, because a big part of the game is we let you mod the game, which means like... If you want to make a particular sword or a particular kind of furniture or whatever, you can design it and put it in the game. And so we want, like, an art style where, like, you can feel like you can contribute to this without being, like, a trained artist, right? So anybody can take Legos and kind of put them together and put together something that's pretty good. I liked it a great deal, your video, because, and I guess I keep going back to it, because you and your brother, it seemed like you guys are having so much fun telling your own story. When we decided to form a game company, we asked around for a lot of advice. What should we do? And the best advice we got was just make a game that you want to play. Because if you really like it and you're excited about it, then you'll be able to find other people who want the same thing. And that's exactly what we did. Now, I'm noticing, shall I say, a pattern. It's like when I listen to so many Kickstarter videos or I interview so many people, they go to a section in the conversation basically where they say, you know, I was 
pursuing my dream and we quit our jobs. And I noticed that you guys said the same thing in your video. Yeah, I mean, that's what's so awesome about Kickstarter and kind of the internet in general is that if we didn't have Kickstarter, we would have to either like go to like friends or go to like some kind of venture capitalist or something to try to get money before we could even get started. Right. But now with Kickstarter, it's just about like get a great idea and find other people who think it's a great idea too and get it like, you know, $30 at a time or $50 at a time instead of trying to get a big lump sum of money. It's like pretty exciting if you think about where we are now with crowdsourcing and just the ability, like if you have a great idea, it's just take it directly to the people. Now, have you and your brother, have you sat there and just like eyes kind of popping at the screen because you've like done more than twice the amount of minimum funding that you were looking for? We were super nervous. Even like the night before we launched the Kickstarter, we didn't know what it was going to do because we've been kind of heads down just working on this thing and we knew we liked it. Yeah. And our friends liked it, but they're our friends. What are they going to say, you know? Liars. <laughs> yeah. And so when it took off like that, we were like, first we were really excited because it means, okay, great. Now we're going to get to do this thing. We're going to have to go get day jobs. But now, like, as the number keeps rising and rising, I mean, we're so excited and it's great talking to, <laughs> like, our new fans. But now it's like pressure. It's like, okay, now you got to deliver because a lot of people are counting on us to do this. So you guys must have a lot of heat on your neck because because a lot of people waiting for this game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I read how you worked on this for about 18 months or so. So you guys, it's not the end of a long journey. It's kind of like the beginning. So, I mean, what thoughts do you have for that? This is the first time we tried to make a game. We've built software for all of our lives, but never a game, and games are different. So we wanted to make sure that we could actually make this thing before we went out. So you guys have never made a game before? No, we've never. Made not a even game. just playing around. You guys have never. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, playing around, but like simple, simple little two D things. I mean, Stoneheart yeah. is pretty sophisticated, even though it looks simple. Graphics are simple, but it's got. Well, it's a co op game, and it's modding, so it has to be pretty. That's right. Yeah, it's yeah. got modding. It's got co op. It's got AI, and we wanted to make sure that we like could actually do that. We knew how to do it before we started taking people's money. So we spent about 18 months. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we spent about 18 months building all the core tech, like the really hard technical problems, like how does the AI work? How does the modding work? Right. And now we're sort of pivoting and, and really turning all that tech into a game. We're adding like the fun stuff, things right. like combat and the ability to craft new items. And so, yeah, it's really kind of the start for us definitely not the end. How long before I can get this game into my hands? That's a great question. We're going to have a beta by the end of this year. Right. And one of our early Kickstarter awards, I think it's like one of the lower tiers is to get into the beta so you can um, play it early and give us feedback. And then we're going to have full release by September of 2014. You guys have control of the purse strings without even having the product to just, you know, I hand you the money, you hand me my product, like at the same time. But on Kickstarter, they hand you the money, they put this confidence, this faith in you guys, and then you go off and you build the best game possible and deliver it, hopefully, in a timely fashion. I mean, that is an incredible amount of trust, man. Like, a lot of people are trusting us. And it's not just, like, they like the game idea. They're trusting, like, us personally. Right. That's why I said uh, earlier, it's like, we're excited, but it's also like there's a lot of extra pressure. And we're going to embrace the pressure and just make sure that we deliver for all these people. 
All right, man. Tell your brother I said um, thanks for the interview and thanks for Radiant Entertainment. And I wish you guys the best. Anybody who wants to check out their Kickstarter program, they still have some time left. Go to kickstarter.com and type in Stone Hearth. And if you can't find it, you can go, always go to djgrandpa.com and type in links. Tom, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks a lot. Later. Hi, I'm Kevin. I'm Jenna. I'm Sam. I'm in. We are Lumeria. When you're not motivated, where do you want to go? Nowhere. Who do you feel like seeing? Nobody. I love music. I'm the world's biggest music fan, bar none. But up next, I have the lead singer of an alternative indie rock motivational group, Sam Mojica of Lumeria. They have a debut album coming out. On Kickstarter, they're raising funds. They have the weirdest, the craziest video, man. It's almost like the Depression Clinic or something, the video they got going on. So it's kind of cool how they twist it around from depression and helping you out of the depression to doing motivational songs. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Very glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say you sound a little you sound a little subdued for motivational. I'm I'm counting on you to keep me up. <laughs> I got some energy. Okay. All right. All right. Just checking. Just checking. I know it's hard. Kickstarter is a full time job. I mean, it's twenty four seven interviews, trying to think of ways, watching Facebook, watching Twitter, all of that, trying to think of a connect. So. I know it is tiring, but you guys are the motivational people. So if you can't keep it up, who else can? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Definitely. You know, luckily for me, everyone in the band, they have a lot of drive and a lot of energy. We're all the best of friends. So we meet up every day. We hang out. We discuss, what, you know, how we can, you know, reach out to more people. And we always have fun doing it. And I was scared it was going to be a lot of work, but it's actually been really enjoyable. It's actually been a really good time that we've gotten to meet a lot of new people that I didn't think that Kickstarter would bring our way. Sam, could you tell me about your music? Describe it for me. Describe your band, the members. Well, probably really sets us apart right now is definitely Jenna was a big help. The girl, she came in with, you know, violin and a lot of piano skills, much more than I have. And she's got a great voice. So we, we will take some of the things that I used to do a lot with my music and my songwriting and we were able to add this whole new dynamic in tune with that kind of our little like motivational message of spreading positivity and, and good vibes. And that's the whole idea of Lumeria. Like the reason in our photo shoots, we have a light bulb, like that light bulb that we have in all of our pictures and in our logo, it's kind of meant to be like, hey, we want you to smile. We want you to get other people to smile and we want you to be a light in your community. Oh, I got that. Like no one's going to really know, but that song, The Way We Live, the one that's our single, it sounds like a pop song, and it is, but it's definitely my version of celebrating the cycle of life and death, and that life is not that serious. Like, you know, I mean, you know, obviously we have times where we take things seriously and we have to. Right. But really, we're here to kind of be happy, and we shouldn't let any of those things get in our way. What's the new album all about? It's called The Way We Live. The album's just kind of about, here's a look into 
some of my personal thoughts as a writer and just some of the band's feelings on life and love and light. And those are kind of the topics we kind of hit on a lot. And just kind of the way we live, the things that happen in our lives. Music is for the normal man. It doesn't have to be you being on a yacht and, and drinking champagne and, <laughs> and, right. and being crazy. And this is music just about kind of the things you deal with in life or and then my kind of spin or the band spin on, hey, but, you know, you may experience this, but let's turn it into something positive. And I would hope that would be the way we live. Do you have anything to say to the people who backed you so far? I got the little Kickstarter app on my iPhone. Right. And I can't tell you how excited I am every time I get a little update that's like, new backer. Everyone either, you know, has it on the phones or their Android, whatever. And they all look at it and we all like, oh, it's, it's so-and-so. Does anybody know who that is? Does anybody know we don't know who that is or we do? What we'll do a lot of times is because I can't say thank you enough to all of you out there. Is especially if I know these people or if I know any of it, I will send them a personal email, send them a phone call, send them a text message if I'm in direct contact. If not, I definitely will just keep making these update videos to try to keep you guys knowing that we're here and we care. We appreciate what you're doing, so we're going to keep creating content to kind of keep you entertained and just to, so you know we're not just hanging out collecting trash. <laughs> collecting trash. You know, we're just trying to get this thing off the ground. We're trying to get it mastered, and everything has been so helpful so far, and we're really looking forward to a big push in the next week. We've got a whole bunch of videos lined up that we're going to release here soon as updates and kind of YouTube videos that help promote and just kind of fun stuff and then some stuff about me talking about the band, which I've never really done before besides this interview now. So once again, I just cannot say thank you enough and how excited we all get the moment we see anybody, even if it's a Facebook comment or an email, even if it's not money, even if it's not a Kickstarter donation, just when people comment about the video and they say, hey, your video is great. I can't tell you how much that means to all of us. Yeah, well, my producer, Vaughn, she turned me on to the video. She was just laughing laughing in the background and she's like you, you gotta watch this you gotta watch this i was like Le leave me alone leave me alone <laughs> and so you know yeah. i watched it and i was like okay okay still okay you're right you're right it's cool it's cool but thank you for coming on the show i wish you and your band the best and uh man dude i mean, I mean it's good to see people who are putting out a positive message so i mean because it all exists man infinite diversity yeah. you guys deserve as much of a chance as anyone else and so that's totally cool just hey. tell the rest of your band and your manager that i, that I said dj grandpa approved <laughs> thank you that DJ Grandpa to listeners, DJ Grandpa to listeners, is there anybody out there? Come in, listeners. Come in, listeners. Okay, you're there. Here's the deal. I have this awesome gift that a special guest has given me to give away to you. But I can't give it away until we reach 100 followers on Facebook. We're almost there. So head over and like the page. Tell your friends to like our page. It can be a Like DJ Grandpa's Crib Facebook party. And if we reach 100 followers, I'll announce the giveaway on next week's show. So that's Facebook, search words, DJ Grandpa's Crib, or follow the link from our website, djgrandpa.com. 
Okay, I'm back now. And I found the game for me right now. I think it's totally cool. It's called Son of Nor. The world is your weapon. It involves telekinesis. It involves terraforming. It involves like all sorts of logic puzzles and stuff. The company that makes it is called Still Alive. They're out of Austria. And I'm speaking with one of the creators, Julian, at the moment. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. All right. Tell me about this game, man, that I'm excited about. Son of Nor is basically a third-person action-adventure. Right. Which is set in a desert world. And you as a player have different magic abilities. So basically, you can shape the entire desert around you. You can change the environment by really terraforming sand up and down to create new paths to block entrances, for instance, make your enemies lose their balance if you right. terraform beneath them, for instance. Your other powers, for instance, are telekinesis power, where you can really move around objects with the power of your mind, throw them at your enemies. You can also use them for puzzle solving and triggering mechanisms, preparing traps. Basically, the possibilities are quite limitless. It can be both a single player or a cooperative game? The player can basically choose if he wants to play it alone or in multiplayer. And he can play together with up to three friends if he wants to. And the cool thing is really that you can start a game in single player, for instance, and then decide, oh, well, this is a nice area, but it's a little bit tricky. I invite my friend over and then he joins you directly in your single player game. And then it's a multiplayer game and you proceed in cold mode. And as soon as he leaves again, you can go on in single player again. The visuals of the trailer are very stunning. I like that. You still have humans, but you have aliens and you're on a, another planet, am I right? The world itself is called Noshrak. So they're the humans, which obviously are not exactly as we are since they know how to use magic. And there are the Sarul, which are your main opponents, so to say. Those are some kind of reptilian races or right. reptilian creatures, which also know magic and uh, want really to extinguish all humankind. What stage of development is this game? Is it a beta, alpha? We would call it a pre-alpha. So right. basically it is almost feature complete in terms of game mechanics. But what's still missing is most of the missions and most of the storyline. And that's what the money's for. Exactly. So we put together this nice prototype to show off that we really can pull it off and that we can do it and hope to get this money and the trust of the people to really finish it. Is there anything you would like to say to your backers? Thanks for the support. It has been really great to see all this encouragement and this great feedback we got. Please tell your friends so we can get even more backers and really can fund this project and make it a reality. That would be just awesome. Julian, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. If anyone wants to check out Son of Noor, you can go to kickstarter.com and type in Son of Noor, that's N-O-R, or you can go to djgrandpa.com where you will always find links to the projects and people that we talk about.
Rifle is a web-based, massively multiplayer sandbox game which is available to play on both Rifle.com and within Facebook, with all players coexisting within the same persistent world. I'd like to talk about another game, one called Rifle, one you've probably never heard of. It's the board game of corporate domination. It's kind of like being Thurston Howell III from Gilligan's Island, but not being on Gilligan's Island and still running your whole empire. At least that's how I'd like to imagine it. Anyway, with that in mind, I'd like to introduce you to Jeff Almeida. He's the guy who's basically going to dominate the world, he and his partner. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Could you tell me about the game Rifle? You know, in the past few years, we start getting a little paranoid about whether our government can sustain our benefits and our, you know, retirements and things like that. But what if the governments went away and we're left with just the corporations? Wow. And the corporations became responsible for owning all of the land and managing the land, having their own small individual armies and having to interact with each other either as allies or as enemies. So it's a little bit of a Petri dish test to see what would happen if that was the scenario and there was no one kind of keeping everyone well-behaved. Hey, it's like that now. Halliburton. <laughs> Different TV <laughs> yeah. shows I've seen. There's other games out there on Facebook that you build farms and aquariums and things like that. And we wanted a game that was a little more serious, a little bit more high risk. Your actions and your behavior with the other players have ramifications if you aren't um, nice to your neighbor, your neighbor could declare war on you and start attacking you, whereas your other neighbor that you were nice to might step in and assist you and defend you or provide supplies, military units, or things like that to you. What's the currency in this world? The currency is credits, we call it. It's um, basically a, a very general denomination of money. Your face is not on like the currency, yours or your partner's or something. Oh, no, no. We don't actually show the currency at any point. It's just <laughs> oh, okay. a number on the screen that says you've got this many credits type of thing. Is this still a cooperative game as I understand it? It can be. You can choose to be cooperative or you can choose to be aggressive with your neighbors. The interesting thing is we thought people would be um, very, very aggressive with each other. So we have a pretty elaborate combat and war system as well as all the economic systems. Right. And it turns out that people really enjoy the economy of the game far more than the warfare. So wars don't break out nearly as frequent as we thought they were going to. Oh, man. In reality, there's like 70 wars going on on the planet every year. Yeah, and I thought the same thing would happen here. I thought it was just going to be fight after fight after fight. And surprisingly, people really don't want to fight with each other that much. It's caused interesting problems to us because part of the healthy economy requires military units and things like that to be destroyed through combat. And if combat's not happening, we're lacking a little bit in our you know, life cycle of economy. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, are you really looking for a benevolent corporation? I mean, I'm thinking black ops. We're thinking about adding an entire region that is dedicated to war itself. So there's going to be large incentives to fight each other on that region. Okay, now so you could talking. have your home base in a safe place, but right. then have you know satellite base on this aggressive area. Wow. Okay. Make sure they have like, you know, anything that would like uh, do a shift in technology or something like where they have, <laughs> you know, like more weapons, or, you know, bigger weapons or big honking guns or something. Then the other side has to go and, you know, but yeah. I guess I'm trying to be nice. So maybe I won't say that, but 
But I don't know, man. It's, it's something to think about. I'm thinking about the escalation, you know. That's all. Yeah, we definitely want escalation. <laughs> but we, want, we still want to have the new guys have a chance. You know, we don't want a big guy beating up on a little guy. Okay. So we have some mechanisms in there to protect them. Yeah, okay. That sounds like Big Brother again, but I see what you're saying. I got to keep them safe for the first few weeks, at least. I believe this game is taking you and your partner, Justin Thomas? Yes, that's correct. Longer than three years to put this game together. Now, there are so many game developers, in my opinion, on Kickstarter. Is it just easy to put a game together like this? I'm never going to say easy because I'll have the entire industry coming down on me. I think there are ways to do these games a lot faster than we did. We were trying to build something very, very big and very feature-rich before we exposed it to the community. So, I mean, a lot of people would say we bit off more than we could chew, which is why it took us so long. Hindsight, I probably wouldn't do something this big for our first project. What stage of development is this game in since you say it has so many features? Beta, alpha, what? It's been out there for about a year in what we're calling a public beta. Wow. We've had people playing it since May 2012. And uh, we advertise a very small scale because we don't really have a budget. And now we're just trying to ramp that up by, you know, asking for favors from people like you to talk to us. (laughs) So it's kind of the grassroots is what we're looking for. Say I'm a kid. I'm sitting here. I'm listening to the cast. And I'm like, man, look what these guys did. My friends and I, we're computer savvy. You got any tips for them? Yeah, start very, very small. Come up with the features that you want to have in the game and then separate it out to must-have, like-to-have, and future. And break your project up into those three and focus on just that first third because it's going to take you a lot longer than you think it's going to take, and you really want to get out there and get feedback from your player base as quickly as possible. And I'd be willing to talk to anybody who's interested in doing something like this just to have a chat with them because I think it's a great industry and I'd love to see more people in it. All right, you heard what he said. Look them up on Kickstarter. Go to kickstarter.com, type in rifle, but it's spelled differently. It's spelled R-H-Y-F-E-L. So type in rifle. It'll pull up the game. There's always a contact information on Kickstarter. Of course, he's starting something, though, because then he'll get 1,100 emails within like eight hours. So that might become a problem. Then he'll never be able to finish the game. So maybe you (laughs) should wait until after he puts the game out. That would be my advice. Jeff, thanks for coming on the show. You're awesome. Thank you very much. Up next, rock cellist Gordon Withers and his Pink Floyd tribute album, Dark Side of the Moon. He was a Kickstarter before Kickstarter was cool. Gordon. Hey. DJ Grandpa here. How you doing? The Rock Cellist. I like that, man. It's a small niche. (laughs) I guess it's your third project on Kickstarter. I watched all three of your videos. And, like, the third one was short, second one was short, and the first one, I was like, man, he's just talking too long. I was like, exactly. I can't take this (laughs) anymore. (laughs) You spoiled me. We were still trying to figure out Kickstarter at that point. I think it was only two or three months old. Tell me what Kickstarter was like back then. Well, you needed an invitation, oddly enough. It wasn't open to anybody, so I knew a guy who knew a guy, and he he had an invitation to it. So it was almost like one of those shady, you know, you had to walk in an alley and you knew a guy of a guy? <laughs> Somewhat. <laughs> or it's like you walk up to one of those big steel doors and you hammer on the door and some guy opens up the slot. 
And you got to say yeah. the right word, like the color is Blue Monday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like vinyl pressing or something like that. That's totally cool. You were cutting edge, man. It was pretty wild. <laughs> I got to watch you, man. You must have something. I mean, because Kickstarter's like several years old now, so you must be on like something totally new now. I, I got to know. I got to watch you keep up with your Twitter feed and your Facebook. <laughs> I'm actually thinking about going sort of back to more like email newsletter and blogging type stuff. I want to mix it up. I like the old style. You have to think about what you're writing or reading right. you know, for more than two seconds. I think there's value in that. So now you're going to tell me that you're going to go back to vinyl and film cameras and stuff and analog tape. You're not going to you're not going to tell me that, are you? Right now, there's this booming underground of especially electronic music done on, on these little tiny cassette labels where they do like a hundred at a time. That's not true, is it? It is true. It's Come on, totally you're true. lying. Come on. It's <laughs> April Fool's or something, isn't it? It's totally true. I think it's fascinating. I mean, yeah, it's, it's sort of uh, purposeful obscurity, I would call it. You kind of opt out of the digital culture. You want to hear my 15-second soapbox? Sure, yeah, absolutely. 20 or 30 years ago, I had all the cassettes, you know, vinyl and all of that. I wanted DJ turntables and all of that ever since I was a young lad. But everyone I knew around me was forcing me to go to CDs. Oh, they sound much better. So much fidelity. Oh, they're so much more durable. And now I find out in 2013 or in the after the year 2000 that... All these people that were so smart are now telling me about how they're purchasing a vinyl again and how they're purchasing. You know what? A friend of mine called me up not too long ago. He said, yo, man, I just bought a jazz album on Real to Real. Oh, my God. It was so great. And I was like, hold up. You the guy who's been for years trying to force me to buy essay high fidelity CDs. So that's my soapbox. Anybody who's telling you that, oh, it's all about one thing, whether that's CDs or vinyl or Twitter or email or long, you know, long reads, you know, they're mistaken because it's about everything and about how you use every piece of it to further your cause or create art or make the world a better place. I'm going to have to break out my bad brains cassettes, man. That's yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, I think certain things only sound good on cassette, like old hardcore and punk. Okay, here's my omission. You know, I sample records and manipulate yeah. sounds and stuff. And, you know, sampling, you know, I consider that to be a sport or whatever. The best samples that you can get are from cassette. They have a warmth about them. They have a fidelity about them. They automatically have soul. You can sample from anything else you want. But yeah. samples from cassettes. Killer sound. So I let that studio trick out the bag. I think you're right on point. I think there's, you know, you know cassettes, vinyl, in the old analog mediums, the medium is like the fifth band member yeah. in the room. You know, you don't have that with digital. It's like the third harmonic or something. It's that special. Yeah. But anyway, I really made this call to say congratulations with your repeated Kickstarter success. Thank you so much. Why don't you tell me about your album, Dark Side of the Moon? That Pink Floyd is. Yeah, from that very first Kickstarter, I took some cello requests, and a family member requested Pink Floyd's song Mother. 
So I did it, and I had a lot of fun doing it, and it turned out really well. So I thought, hey, why not, for one of my next projects, do like a whole album or a greatest hits of Pink Floyd or something like that. Thought about doing The Wall, because that was my favorite as a kid, but I listened to it again, and it's 80, 90 minutes long. There was just no way it was going to be possible. So then I listened to Dark Side of the Moon, and I thought, okay, this is probably their best record. And there's a couple aspects of it that are incredibly difficult to do on cello, but I'm going to try it anyway. But it was a blast. I loved doing the whole the whole album, especially the track Us and Them. That was always my favorite. You can't go wrong with Pink Floyd, man. Yeah. I still listen to it. Uh, at a couple points, I almost gave up. A few tracks, I got bogged down in you know, trying to figure out the guitar solos or, or some weird keyboard or synthesizer thing that they were doing but eventually i yeah <laughs> persevered sometimes i'd have to take you know a few months off at a time from recording and then come back to it you had to puzzle it out come yeah back. exactly <laughs> what are some of your influences i'm actually really influenced by the dc rock music scene especially the 1980s and 90s you mentioned Bad Brains, but also like Minor Threat, Fugazi, yeah. Jawbox, and all those Shudder to Think, the great bands from Discord. So very lucky that my own band, Office Future Plans, is on Discord Records right now. Feels kind of like a dream come true. What's next for you on the horizon? Next is uh, figuring out how to be a dad, I think. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll fit in music as, as much as I can. <laughs> you know, this is from DJ Grandpa. All I have to say is, now, you're talking about how hard Dark Side of the Moon is and the wall, and you're talking about your next great adventure. Being a father is bigger than all of that put together. Oh, yeah. So you're going to have to sample and mask certain things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you're going to be puzzling a great deal to get a handle on that. So I wish you the best on that. Good luck. Awesome. Thank you so much. Welcome to the show. It's not the end yet. It's time for DJ Grandpa's favorite part of the show. It's called the elevator pitch. And on this week's session, we have Abigail and Ryan from a game called Some Wars. I don't exactly understand it, but for some reason, they're looking for the money. Abigail and Ryan, do you guys know what an elevator pitch is? No. <laughs> like a short speech? Uh, Traveling uh, on a... Elevator. <laughs> That's a good try. That's a good try. You get A for effort. An elevator pitch is every time we're on the elevator. I'm this guy who's impeccably dressed, you know, very nice suit, cufflinks, you know, the whole <laughs> works. But then people automatically know that I'm the guy who has the money, who pulls the purse strings. So these two strangers, I might say, Abigail and Ryan, they see me walking into this cushy building, you know, upstate real estate. And they know I have the money. So when I get in the elevator, before the door can close, Ryan puts his foot in the elevator and they both got in. And then they ask me, sir, about our situation, some wars. And I say, dude, I'm getting off at the seventh floor. If you can give me, uh, you know, a good enough reason by floor number seven, maybe we can talk. So, Abigail and Ryan, why do you deserve the money? 
Well, we're trying to make this uh, number speed scrabble game available for everyone. It's a game that we came up with ourselves and it's a very fast paced game that not only helps people improve their math skills, but it's a really socially fun and challenging game. Just last night we did a little tournament party for it and we're just really amazed again to see people who, you know, were saying they hated math or suck at math, you know, talking about how much fun it was and how they just wanted to play another round. It's one of those games that kind of takes you by surprise and makes it a fun night of learning, essentially. People who are getting older and starting to have problems with their memory, there's a, a lot of studies that show that you know math-based games especially are helpful with people with dementia and things like that. A lot of and people that we've played with, uh, you know, playing testing the game, they've gone through and initially started thinking that, you know, I don't like math, and they, they walk out thinking, oh my gosh, I'm hooked. Abby's beat me. I'm an engineer. She's a homemaker. She beats me all the time. We have all these conversations going with teachers and engineers from all around the world who are just completely excited about the game. And it's just been so exciting to see other people, you know, following along with our dream and working on something to make it better. And Giving you know, us advice. and It's been great. Looking at your page right now on my smartphone. And I especially like that part when you talked about dementia and Alzheimer's and helping people. I see that could be quite profitable. And you know, Kickstarter is a business. Therefore, go to kickstarter.com. Like I always say, type in S-U-M-W-A-R-S. And if you can't find it there, we'll always provide links for you on djgrandpa.com. Well, this businessman and this businesswoman, they've done a great job. And I'm very proud that you guys have shared my elevator, even though it's a crowded space and you weren't invited ahead of time. But I'll have to increase security a little bit because too many people are getting through. But you've done you guys have done a good job. Thanks for coming on the crib. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Stay tuned to DJ Grandpa's Crib because on Wednesday, May 22nd, we're posting a special edition featuring the incredible writer and publisher Tom Monteleone of Borderlands Press. I'd like to thank all our guests this week and I'd also like to thank our listeners. We couldn't do it without you guys. And a special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and my mentor, The Mumbler for providing music for DJ Grandpa's Crip. I'd also like to thank Theron Kennedy, our Director of Marketing. Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's Crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is A.F. Rufus. Thank you.